turn with me this morning to Ruth chapter 1, Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1, we'll cover quite a bit of verses here uh, this morning in our sermon. We'll be looking at verses 6 through 18. Verses 6 through 18, speaking on the subject, the return from death to life. The return from death to life. We'll see two primary things taking place in our text. We'll see that there's a departure, Naomi's departure and we'll see that in verses uh, 6 through 15 and we'll see uh, Ruth Ruth's conversion here this morning uh, verses 16 through 18 so I'll start reading at verse 1 just so we can remember the context Ruth 1 starting at verse 1 verse number 1 in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in, a country, in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons was Malone and Chalon. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Arpa, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years. And both Malone and Chalon died, so that when the went so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night, and should bear sons. Would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything, but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. May God bless the reading and the hearers of his holy word. 
one of the fundamental truths of the Christian life is that it will be filled with great trials, suffering, difficulty, and loss. There will be difficult circumstances. Each one of us will find ourselves in that we can't get ourselves out of. Times, in these times, we may find that we can't see beyond the hurt and suffering we are experiencing. I heard uh, Derek Thomas say this morning, he said something about suffering that we must remember. Even when it's suffering that is with us and God doesn't remove it away from us, we must remember this truth. And he says this, in order for blessings to come in one place, there must be suffering. Seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? That in order for us to be blessed, there are times when we must go through suffering. There are times when we must go through difficulty. There are times in order for us to grow that we must be challenged with uh, circumstances that seemingly are beyond our control. It is in those times, it is in those times that we grow. It is in those times where we must learn to trust that first, God understands our suffering because he sent it. He has a purpose in it. God is not confused about our suffering, no matter how difficult it is. He, he understands why we're suffering. He has a purpose in it. And we must, we must trust that his grace is at work in the dark circumstances of our lives, even though sometimes we may not see it. We may not see God's hand. God may uh, hide what he is doing from us, but nevertheless, he's doing something that is for our good and for his glory. And we must, because of this, trust him and embrace all that, not just his hand, but his loving hand sins. I think some, either Mark or Kurt said that this morning, all that his loving hand sends us, we must embrace it. We must trust him in it. In our text, we, we see the providence of God working behind the scenes. Naomi has lost both her husband and not just one child, but two. Ruth and Orpah has lost their spouses. And, and all of this, all of this loss and, and this suffering, all of this is God working in the lives of Naomi and Ruth to bring life out of death. They've experienced nothing but death. And out of this, God is going to bring life. As we continue through the book of Ruth, we will understand that behind God's dark providence is his good purpose. <laughs> you need to write that one down. Behind God's dark providence is his good purpose. This is what we're going to see in the book of Ruth. We're going to come to see that. The death of loved ones in Naomi's and Ruth's lives leads ultimately to Ruth's conversion. It took the loss of Elimelech. First, it took the famine, the loss of Elimelech, uh, the loss of Chilon, and the loss of, of uh, Milan. It took the loss of these men in order for God to get Ruth to a place to where she will turn to him as her God. 
And not only that, as we go through Ruth, and no doubt you've noticed uh, that God will not only save Ruth, but he will use Ruth to bring about the ultimate deliverer. It will be through Ruth and her uh, bloodline that God will bring the Messiah. So through all of this loss and, and all of the heartache, God is doing something and he's doing something that the, that, that the whole world will benefit from. And that gives hope to our suffering. That God can use what we may not understand and it may hurt us something uh, great in our lives, but God can use that. And he is often using that to be a blessing to somebody else. And we have to learn to take our eyes off of ourselves, off of what we are experiencing. And I'm not saying, I'm not trying to minimize the hurt and the pain and the suffering. It's there. It's real. You feel it. But you need to know something about your God in the midst of it. That, that it was, it is just as a, a potter is taking a clay vessel and he shapes it on a wheel and his hands is, is shaping that clay pot into something that is beautiful and purposeful. God is doing the same thing in our lives. It is his loving hand and he is molding us and taking rough places and, and sanding them down and, and making us useful and a blessing to others. This is what God is doing. And, and this is what we will see ultimately play out in the book of Ruth. And, and, and it all started with, with, with Naomi's departure from Moab. Let's look at the text and we'll see Naomi's departure. Her departure uh, we'll look at in verses six and seven. And so, so far we've seen famine, uh, verses one and two, we've seen death in verses three through five, and now we will see a return, verses six through 18. Look at verse six. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. Notice that she arose. This, 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 uh, this, this it would, was no doubt uh, a reference to the fact that Naomi had experienced all the loss that she had experienced. And it says that she arose with the daughters-in-law to return. One of the key words in our text is return. It, it is used 12 times uh, in verses 6 through 18. It is used in verse number 6. It says uh, to return verse number seven. It says uh, they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Verse number eight, go return each of you to her mother's house. Verse number 10, no, we will return, said Orpah, Orpah and Ruth. Verse 11, but Naomi said, turn back. Same word, uh, turn back. Verse 12, she says, turn back. In verse number 15, uh, it's used twice. It's, uh, and she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Verse number 16, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. The author is emphasizing this idea of return. And the Hebrew word is frequently, this, the, the, the Hebrew word uh, for this word return is frequently used in the Old Testament for repentance and turning back to God. It is used in Hosea chapter three, verse five. Afterward, the children of Israel, here it is, shall return and seek the Lord their God. And David, 
their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. It is used again in Hosea chapter 6, verse 1. Come, let us, here it is, return to the Lord. For he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. The author wants us to see that what follows is about returning. It is about a journey. For Naomi, it's a physical. I think it's more of a physical journey. For Naomi, uh, for uh, Ruth, it is a, a turning. It's going to be a turning for her uh, away from her people, the wicked people of Moab, to God's people and to God himself. The author wants us to see that. He wants us to see what is playing out and what is all this. That's God at work. That's, his, that's God's sovereign hand guiding and moving people to do his will. And the author wants us to see that. Naomi will return to the promised land because of God, because of what God is doing. She'll leave the land of death, the land of Moab, to the land of life in Israel. And like I said, I think it's more of a physical thing with, with Naomi because you, we have to ask the question, does she, re, does she repent? Does she return with a repentant heart? Well, we can observe that she has not prayed. It just said that these things happen and then she hears about what has happened and she returns. We don't hear anything about her praying uh, for God's providence. And when she finds out, there's no praise. There's no thanksgiving. And later on, we'll see that she is filled with self-pity and bitterness. That may be some repentance there but uh it is is there are going to be other things that will follow naomi follow with naomi in her heart and we'll see that next week so what what prompts naomi to depart moab what well, the text tells us it, it tells us for she naomi had heard in the fields of Moab, that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Because of Yahweh's covenant God of Israel, because of his sovereign providence and his covenant faithfulness, the famine was over in Israel. No doubt the famine was, uh, uh, was the result of his discipline and the, the implication is that there has been repentance and a return to God. And now God is blessing his people. This is what Deuteronomy, uh, we read it last week. This is what Deuteronomy tells us. When the people turn to God, they're blessed. When they obey God, they're blessed. But when they turn away from God, as the book of Judges teaches us, and this book is written in the time of the Judges, there's this pattern of disobedience and an attorney. So no doubt there's a time of blessing. There's a time of cursing. And now they have encountered a time of blessing. No doubt because there was repentance in the land of Israel. So Yahweh in the sovereign providence, he in his compassionate mercy, he visited his people and provided food for them. Naomi understands she heard that the Lord has done this it is the Lord that has provided it is the Lord that has visited and brought with him his favor and, and it is his goodness this goodness of Yahweh of the Lord that initiates Naomi's departure from Moab it, it is Yahweh mercy and his mercy 
that has allowed the news to reach Naomi in Moab. We don't know how, but she heard it. She got the news. And why? Because it's God at work. God sovereignly allowed the word to reach Moab. Was some Jews traveling to Moab? All we know is, is that God sent, God enabled his word to get to Naomi and this caused Naomi to act. It was, it was then that Naomi made a choice to leave Moab. It was then after hearing what God has done. News of, of God's grace to, to her people penetrated her loss. Her grief, her sorrow, all that she, the difficulty that she was experiencing in the death of her spouse and the death of her children and all her pain. It is God's mercy, God's goodness that prompts her faith to act. Romans 2 and 4 says this, do not presume on the riches of his kindness, talking about God. His the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Paul writes this in Romans chapter two, verse four. Sometimes God is good to us in spite of what has happened and in spite of what we have done so that we can see his goodness and simply acknowledge that we don't deserve it. We presume on God's grace like we deserve it. Like God owes us something. And, 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 and it, when we start thinking like this, when difficulties do come and they will come, then we are blinded we're blinded to God's hand because we assume that God will only work a certain way. And what this teaches us is that we must not allow our sorrow and our hurt and even our pride to blind us or cause us not to respond to what God is doing, not only in our lives, but in the lives of others. We must respond. We must have eyes to see what, what God is doing and respond to it. And Naomi responds. She responds by, she arose by getting up and returning. Look at verse number seven. It says that, she, so she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law. And it, it's just the fact that keep using this term daughters-in-law to is to remind of the relationship that is there between Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah with her, with her two daughters-in-law. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Technically, it's Naomi who was returning to the land of Judah. Have the, the word, it, it, you got to know what the author is doing. You got to see it. The word return, it is used for uh, for Orpah and Ruth as well. And, and, and perhaps this is to, to signify their intention to stay with Naomi. Their, their, their intentions is to, to, to be with Naomi wherever she goes. So the author uses this word for uh, the Moabite. And, and, and one author said this, he said, this is a one-way trip. Uh, this, this return to the land of Judas, it's a one-way trip. And, 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 and because Naomi understands this and out of genuine concern for Ruth and Orpah, Naomi does something. She urges them to return home. And we see this in verses 18 through 15. This is her appeal. She makes three appeals. First appeal is in verse Number eight, look at verse number eight. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, return each of you 
to her mother's house. In those times, the children and uh, the, the female uh, children stayed with the mother uh, and, uh, in, the, in the mother's house. So that's, that's why he said, each of you to her mother's house. And she adds, a blessing. May the Lord, may Yahweh, not the, this is talking about the covenant God of Israel. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant, uh, verse 9, the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her, hus of her husband. Then she kissed them. And they lifted up their voices and wept. Naomi calls for the covenant God to be loyal to these Moabite women. She pronounces a blessing on them and asks God to reward their past devotion by giving them new families and new husbands. Now, this may seem like common sense. They're Moabites. And the common sense thing would to do would be for them being Moabites to go back to their people. That's the common sense thing that we could reason, right? But what is practical is not always wise. We must ask the question: How can Ruth and Orpah? find favor and security from Yahweh in a land of idols and wickedness. First of all, they're not a part of the covenant people of God. And we know that outside of covenant fellowship with God, there is only death. And, and, and what Naomi, so what Naomi is trying to do it is practical. But if what is practical turns others away from God, then it's not wise. You see that subtlety? It's common sense because there are more bites. But will it be a blessing? Would they really receive blessing from Yahweh if they turn, turn away from Yahweh to go back? And where are they going back to? They're going back to idols. They're going back to pagan people who worship idols, who offer their children to uh, this God where they offer them up on a, as, as burning them to death. Go back to that. What Naomi is trying to do is practical. But life would be hard for these women away from God. And Naomi just experienced this herself. They left Judah. They left Bethlehem. And life is hard for her. She knows this. She just experienced this herself. And now she is turning her daughter-in-laws away from, similarly as, as she has done, away from life with Yahweh and his people, back to spiritual death of the idol-worshiping people of the land of Moab. She's doing the same thing. This is why Jesus tells us in Matthew 6 and 33, that we're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. We must make sure that our priorities are first God's priorities and what God desires. And then we are then God said he will take care of all the other things that involve the desires of man. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So Naomi is trying to help 
And no doubt if these Moabite women did go to Judah, they would experience all kind of issues because they're not of the people of God, but they would have been with God. And God would, 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 would take care of them. And we know that ultimately with Ruth, don't we? We know the end of the story. But at this point, we don't know that. Naomi doesn't know that. Look at verse number 10. Notice Ruth and Orpah's response. It says, and they said to her, no, <laughs> we will return with you to your people. The daughters refuse to accept Naomi's words. They, they, they are showing their devotion and their, and their commitment. And, and, and they are affirming their intention to go back with Naomi to Judah. And think about it. They, uh, Nora brought this to mind. They, they, they had been with Naomi for, what, 10 years? They love Naomi. They've been with her for a, a, a long enough time to develop a close, intimate relationship. A daughter and, and, and mom relationship. They've been together a long time. And they probably care for her as if they were her children. That's what we're seeing in this affection. They care for her as if Naomi is their mother. But look at verses 11 through 13. Naomi insists. She's in, she, she insists. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. This is a, this is a turn back. It's a command. It's repeated twice. Verse 11 and 12. Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that you may become that they may become your husbands verse 12 turn back my daughters go your way for i am too old to have a husband if i should say i have hope even if i should have a husband this night and should bear sons verse 13 would you therefore wait till they are grown they were grown would you therefore refrain from marrying and what Naomi is referring to here is the leveret marriage that is given. It's a provision given by God in Deuteronomy chapter 25. You can find that in verses 1 through 10. Naomi is saying that she would have, uh, would, uh, have to supply uh, sons. If she had sons, she would have to supply sons to her widowed daughters-in-law so that her daughters-in-law would have opportunity to remarry within the family and be cared for by new husbands and given opportunity to bear children. But Naomi's only two sons were gone. And there were no sons or remaining sons for offering Ruth to marry. And so Ruth is saying you're I, I, it, she's she's kind of exaggerating. But think about this. The very thing that she is frowning upon, the leveret marriage, is the very thing that God is going to use later on. <laughs> she's she is she, she's looking down upon this. And God will use Boaz. He's kin to Elimelech. She's appealing. Making an appeal. But she's not trusting God. She's using her own understanding her own thinking and letting that guide her in the way that she is acting toward her daughter-in-laws rather than trusting God. Rather than trusting that it is he who put this desire 
to follow her in their heart. But Naomi insists. And they insisted they were, that they were going with Naomi. And remember again that Moab is not a land of life, but a land of death. And so, continue at verse 13. She says, no, my daughters. And, this, and, and really, I think this is starting to point uh, to, to Naomi's kind of self-centered thinking. No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Naomi does recognize and acknowledge the sovereignty of God in her suffering. She acknowledges that it was the hand of God that has gone out against us. However, she cannot see past her bitterness. Yes, she believes that God is sovereign, but she is bitter. And we'll see that later on next week, Lord willing. She can't see past her bitterness. She's, she's, she says here, in a sense, I got a bitter taste in my mouth regarding the way that the adversity in my life is affecting you. <laughs> kind of remind me of Peter and Jesus. When Jesus told his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. And suffer at the hands of the scribes and the Pharisees. And the disciples knew what Jesus, they knew exactly what Jesus was saying. That he must go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer and die there. And Peter said, oh no, Lord, <laughs> we ain't going to let that happen. I'm not going to let that happen to you. And what did Jesus say to Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. And why did he call him Satan? He said, because you're concerned about the things of man rather than the things of God. He wasn't seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He was concerned about the things of man. And I think that is what is going on here with Naomi. She's thinking about the things of man. And she's trying to dictate because she's thinking about the things of man. She's trying to dictate what Ruth and Orpah does. She's trying to dictate it herself. Intervene herself. Look at Ruth and Arthur's response. Again, in verse 14. It says, then they lifted up their voices and wept again. They're, these girls are hurting. Because they don't really, well, at least we know of Ruth, they really don't want to leave. And Naomi must have had some kind of impact on these two women. And it says, and Arthur kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Ruth chose to stay and cleave. Same word used in Genesis. She chose to cling to her. In other words, she chose to stick to her mother-in-law like glue. <laughs> she was attached and she would not abandon her. This is another, this is a contrast. Elimelech and Naomi abandoned their people in Bethlehem. Rather than staying there and going through with the people of God and suffering, they chose to leave. Naomi and her husband left the people of God. But Ruth is like, I ain't going nowhere. I'm committed. I 
And Naomi appeals again, her third appeal. Verse 15, and she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Harper, she was convinced by Naomi's appeal. And return to her people and with their gods. Now, Harper made this decision. She is responsible. She made a decision based upon the appeal of Naomi. And she made a choice that seemed right in her mind. And she turns back. She goes. And now we, we don't hear anything else about Ruth, I mean, about Orpah in the pages of Scripture. We never hear anything else about her again. So, so she did. She did what seemed right, just as Elimelech and Naomi seen, did what seemed right in leaving Bethlehem uh, to go to Moab. But sadly, what seems right can lead to destruction. Matthew chapter seven, verses thirteen through fourteen says this: Jesus says, "Enter by the narrow gate." For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Talking about salvation. That it, the, the, the hard way, uh, the way to, to, of salvation, it, it is hard. There will be it is difficult in a sense that you're going to give up everything to follow Jesus Christ. But the easy thing is, is to turn away from Jesus Christ and do what everybody else is doing. That's the easy thing, kids. It's easy. Everybody else is having fun, living it up in life. That's easy. The hard thing is, is to follow Jesus Christ. And sometimes doing what appears to be easy and everybody else is doing it. It leads to destruction. And we see people deal with the consequences of turning away from God every day. And we, we and there are times I know even in church that you get people that that come to church, they come in and participate for a while and they go back. We learn that in Hebrews apostasy. They can participate in the things of God. And because Christ was never in their heart, they go back to the world. That's a reality. And that's a, a reality that everyone has to face, to face up to. And even for us as believers, this is something for us to learn from Naomi here. We don't want to drive people away from Christ. We don't want to drive people to the world and to the world's godless wisdom and the world's godless ways. We don't want to we don't want to turn people away from God and his ways to the ways of the world. We don't want to do that. We don't want to drive. We don't want to drive others away from Christ. We're to point others to Christ and draw them and draw their attention to God's glory in all things, no matter how minor they may be, no matter how difficult they may be, we're to draw their attention to Christ and to God. That's what we're to be doing. Not playing God, but pointing them to God. Notice Ruth's conversion. We see her commitment and her confession in verse 16. 
Because this is this is unexpected. <laughs> what what Ruth does is is unexpected, and her decision that that she has made is it's unshakable. She she is going to turn. She willingly turn her back on her evil, idolatrous past and on everyone she knew in order to follow Naomi. And this is what repentance and faith looks like. Look at verse 16. It says, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you for where you go, I will go. That sounds like New Testament teaching about following Jesus Christ, doesn't it? Christ said he would never leave us nor forsake us. And we, in turn, should never leave him. Turn from following him as his disciples. Look at the text. It says, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. So wherever Whatever way Naomi takes, Ruth said, I'm, I'm there with you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Wherever Naomi stay, Ruth will stay. And she says, your people shall be my people. There's been an exchange. Your people will be my people. My people are no longer my people. Your people are my people. You think of this is a real story. Think of what Ruth is saying. She's saying, I want to be with you wherever you go. But the most important thing she says here <laughs> is that she's is determined that God would be her God. She says, and <laughs> your God, my God. She acknowledges and embraces Yahweh as her God. She's turning her back on, her, on the idols of her past, upon all the people of her past, and she's embracing a new reality, a new family, a new people, and the true and living God. And she's done this. She's counted the cost, no doubt. She knows what it means, and she is willing to pay the price. Only God can change a heart to do that. Don't get it wrong. It's God who is doing this. It is God who is at work in Ruth's heart that enabled Ruth to come to this conclusion. We know that Yahweh has chosen Ruth because we know we read Ruth. We read this book. God has chosen Ruth and has a special purpose for her life. And, and, and mercifully, God has and we don't want to miss this. God has worked through Naomi's life through to, to, to include the death of her husband and her two sons to draw Ruth to himself. He used the tragic circumstances of Naomi's life to bring Ruth to himself. Through death comes life. Through death and sorrow of Naomi's life comes spiritual life in the life of Ruth. What, isn't it worth it? 
Naomi would look back and say, it was worth it that I went through that. It doesn't minimize the pain and the suffering because it's real. She lost her husband and her two sons. That's real. But God has always been at work doing something that was beyond her comprehension, doing something that was for his glory. Ruth, Ruth, look at her resolve. It's all the way to death. Where you die, I will die. Verse 17. And there I, will I be buried. Committed to death. Ruth was committed to Naomi and to her God until, the, until God took her home. And she has made, and this is used at weddings, may the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. So Ruth willingly turned her back on everything else in her life and was determined to spend her life with Naomi. And Christ calls for such commit, uh, confession and commitment from those who desire to follow him. Luke 14, verses 26 through 27, Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate or is saying that that you uh, should have more love for him and 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 that love will look like you hate everything else. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Matthew 10, verses 37 through 39. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life, like Orpah, will lose it. And whoever loses his life, like Ruth, for my sake, will find it. Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to be with her, and she couldn't do anything to sway her to do otherwise. Look at verse 18. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. Naomi saw her commitment. Others should see our commitment. If we say that we are committed, it should be seen in the way we live our lives. There are no closet Christians. There are no sideline Christians. Either you're committed or you're not committed. Either you give your all or you're not going to give your all. Uh, what this teaches us as I close, as, as with Naomi, God often uses adversity in, in our lives in order to drive. First of all, Naomi responded and she said, she arose and set back, set out to return, to return to Judah. And, and, and it was, God works in our lives the same way. He uses difficulty to drive us to himself. And not only difficulty, but goodness as well. He gives us good things to, to, to bring us uh, to our knees in appreciation and thanksgiving as well. And it's in adversity that, that it drives us to, to read God's word. It is in difficult times that it drives us to our knees and teaches us to turn and lean upon God as the only source of true satisfaction, the only source of true peace, 
and we can know this. We know that what David said, it was good when I was afflicted because this is when I learned to command. We know that. And yet it could be hard. I don't want to minimize pain that that people are, are dealing with and pain that people that, that some of us will deal with. Pain of loss. It, it can still be hard, even though we know what God God's word says. And it teaches us that it's, it's still it's to lose uh, your spouse and your, and, 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 and your children. It's, it's, it's difficult. But this teaches us that we, even though it's difficult, we should not allow, and even though it's hard, we shouldn't allow the difficulties to dictate our view of life. We shouldn't allow it to dictate what we do in life, how we deal with other people, because ultimately it can deal to bitterness with you know, bitterness being bitter toward other people and all of that. It, it can lead to us being, uh, uh, you know, having pity for ourselves. And that's what's happening in our age. This this idea of, 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 uh, of wonder, worrying about self and how it, things make me feel. We shouldn't allow our circumstances to dictate the way we see ourselves the way we see others, we, we shouldn't do that because God is greater. And, 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 and even when tragedy comes, we, we, we must remember that God understands why we are suffering. <laughs> this is what I started with. God understands why we're suffering. He, he has purpose in it. It hurts. It's painful. But we know that God think about Job and they call the book of Ruth a, 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 a book like Job. Think of Job and all that he lost. Not only did he lose his children, he lost all of his livelihood. And 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 at the end, in Job 42nd chapter, Job understood that. Those things, the loss and all that God was doing was beyond his understanding. He said, these things are too. I was talking about things that were, I'm trying to figure th th things out that are too great for me. And what did he do? He repented. Wait a minute. He lost everything. He repented because he saw that God was greater than the loss. God is greater. We read about that in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40. God, there is no one like our God. He is great. He is majestic. And because of that, he is trustworthy. We can trust him. Even when we don't see where we're going. Even when it hurts. And we can, we know that and we can trust that he understands why we're suffering. Because he has, it, it is because of his loving purpose. And, and not only that, that he knows why we're suffering, but he promised that he would never leave us nor forsake us. He promises to be with us wherever we may go. This is what the psalmist sought after. Psalm 27, he's, uh, David says this, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes? It is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamped against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing, why could he, why is it that he can think like this? Verse four, he says, one thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble because it's coming and he'll hide me. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And then he says in verse 13, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. In other words, let God be God. Let God be God. Trust God as God. <laughs> and God is sovereign. He knows. Trust him in whatever he allows. And this is the last thing. God not only allows adversity to come so that we can turn to him, so that we can know that that, that he knows and that he's trustworthy. But God in his sovereign purpose may choose to use suffering in your life and my life to bring others to Christ. He may use what you're going through, your hurt and your pain. That may be that which he uses to bring others to Christ. Paul says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. He said, always caring about, caring in the body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Your pain, your suffering, it no doubt brings you to the end of yourself. But what God is doing as you trust him, as you obey the word of God, as you allow the word to transform the way you think and act into the way that Jesus Christ thinks and act, Christ will be made known and God will use you to draw others to Jesus Christ. Oh, don't you want to be used? It, it, it'll hurt, but that's what the calling is all about to take up our cross, to be willing to die for him. Let that be our banner that we live our lives under. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen. Father, we often are confused and troubled by uh, the difficulties that arise in our life, things that just uh, oftentimes come into our lives and, and, and they, they come and they come as a, a surprise to us. We don't anticipate, none of us can anticipate the loss of a loved one. Uh, no one can anticipate suffering and difficulties in life. None of us know when it is coming. But Father, you have given us examples in your word uh, that help us to see that even in the dark providence that you send into our lives, that there is ultimately good that you're bringing about. And we, reality may be that we may not even see what you're doing. 
you may use the testimony of our lives to bring someone to Christ after we die. After we are absent from the body and present with the Lord. You may use our testimony, continue to use our testimony to bring others to Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we want to live with this in mind, that there is a glorious purpose, much greater than our comfort, much greater than our, uh, much greater than our happiness. And that greater purpose is that you are glorified in salvation. That others are saved, that others come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And whether they turn back like Orpah or they choose to turn their back on everything and embrace you as God and Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Whether that takes place, we don't know, but you know. And we trust you. And we trust that you're working all things out. And we ask that when we do come to these times, and maybe some here are experiencing even now, when we come to times of difficulty, experiencing loss, uh, uh, loss and, and death and suffering, Father, be with us in those times to give grace that we need to mourn for your glory, to, to, to mourn. And so I'm not saying that we shouldn't mourn, but mourn that for your glory, that you will be glorified in the midst of our lament. And Father, we need your grace to do that. We can't do it in our own strength. We need your grace. We need the grace that comes from knowing you as you have revealed yourself in your word. And so help us. Help us to grow in the Christian life, to be people who live uh, in, in, in spite of what is going on, live with, uh, as, as Jesus, uh, as John said, with a faith that overcomes the world. Help us to do that for the sake of Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen.